Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. this morning i know today is your day of prayer is that right yeah. fasting and prayer and all these things and i want to talk to you a little bit about today about the power of persistent prayer but i want to talk to you about the the the, the primary purpose of prayer how many of you have had teaching on prayer how many of you struggle to pray how many of you have stories of wonderful vibrant prayer lives where are you guys at in your prayer walks anybody really excited to tell me Anybody excited to confess? Who struggles with prayer? I'm the pastor. Why is my hand going up? I'm not just trying to do this to encourage you to put up your hand. This isn't this isn't suggestive. This isn't suggestive behavior. This is honest confession. There are those who identify with Mary and they love to spend time just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Andreas is one of those. Pastor Andreas. Then there are those of us who are like Martha. We just want to do something. We sit for a little while and we pray for a while and then we want to do something. Does anybody else struggle with the prayer of jitters? Or is it just me? I'm not confessing to you guys again. As soon as I become vulnerable with you guys, you just... Yeah, see. Why am I preaching to you, peeps? Um, here's some things I want to share with you. Look, prayer is vital. Prayer is a vital part of our walk with God. It's not something we can do without. And, for example, like I said to me, prayer for me is not one of those natural things that I long to gravitate to. But over time and, and just along my journey, I've come to appreciate the value of prayer so much more than I used to. Uh, but I, I want to say this. Prayer is something, the art of prayer, is something we learn over time. And the more we do it, the more we learn. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in the Lord and how many hours you've spent in prayer and how many ways you've learned to pray. There's always more to learn about prayer. It's like, it would be like saying, Lorica, how long have you been married? <laughs> have you got this thing, 27 years, that's a long time. Have you got this thing waxed? This marriage thing. <laughs> You're still learning. And that's just what it is. Why? Because it's a relationship. And stuff happens and people change and we go through things and these things all affect the relationship and they affect what happens and how we work. Prayer is exactly the same. Prayer is communication with God. I want to say this to you about prayer, especially considering that today is a day of prayer for you. Prayer is not about getting God to do what you think or it's not about getting God to do what you want. It's not about coming and to God, this person, God, this situation. It's also not about complaining to God about what you're unhappy about. Does God mind if we come and bring these things to Him? No, there's nothing wrong necessarily with coming and complaining or sharing your heart with God, sharing your grievances. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's the best place to share it. Um, in fact, that's the only place we should be moaning and complaining. Not to God or not about God, but with God. God, I don't understand this. Or God, this situation. No, 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 no. 
Prayer is about relationship and it is about fellowship. Ultimately, prayer, the art of prayer, is about getting to know better who God is. The more I pray, the more I get to know who He is and what He is like. And the other thing that's really interesting is that the more time I spend in prayer, the better I get to know who I am. The Bible says that spending time in prayer is like looking in a mirror. Spending time in the Word of God is like looking in a mirror. When you spend enough time looking in the mirror, you get to be quite accustomed to your face. I don't know, apart from first thing in the morning, most of us don't get a fright when we look at ourselves in the mirror. Whoa, hell are you? I didn't recognize you for a second there. That doesn't really happen. Now, God... That's why I said most of the time. I want you to have a look at your Bibles. Please open them to John 15. Because I want to... I want to most of us are really familiar with this portion of Scripture. But when it comes to prayer... Um, Jesus says some really interesting things in this passage. And I think we sometimes miss them. Because we think that this passage just talks about Akinlevayesus in our little cocoon. And our, our just, you know, just this abiding, you know, I've just got to be with Him. And there's more to it. I'm sure you've heard this kind of analogy before that if the purpose of being saved was just to get us to heaven and into the presence of God, we would be better blessed committing suicide en masse. Uh, because then that that's just the purpose fulfilled, we get, there, we get there faster. But there's a far greater purpose to this. You know, when Jesus preached the gospel, He didn't just preach the gospel of salvation. In fact, you will not find those words recorded in Scripture, that Jesus preached a gospel of salvation. Salvation is a part of the good news of the gospel that He preached. But what Jesus preached is a gospel of the kingdom. He brought us into a kingdom where there is a king, where there is rank and file, where there is authority. And he's brought us in as members of the royal family, if so to speak, but also with royal duties and obligations. And we get to become co-laborers in that arena. Now if we get into John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. A couple of things I want to point out to you just from those two verses. Number one, he says, I am the true vine. What does that imply? There are other vines. And what is the what is he rep what is the analogy that he is making here? My father is the vine dresser, I am the vine, you are the you are the branches. Where does the branch get his sustenance from? The vine. Through its connectedness with the vine. So if he says, I am the true vine, he says, I'm going to give you true sustenance, true life, the real deal, that will produce the good grapes, the good fruit. Fake vines or counterfeit vines are other sources from which we draw sustenance, emotional needs, having our emotional needs met sense of identity, our sense of importance. All of these things can come from either Jesus, the true vine, who will tell you the truth about who you really are in Him, or we can draw those things from counterfeits. And we'll be subject to those. Then He says, Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. The actual original translation there is He lifts up. 
And if you understand a vineyard, we're all from the Cape, so we understand vines grow on trellises, what would you call them? <coughs> Trellising. And so when a vine branch lies in the ground, it gets covered in dust. The leaves can't photosynthesize properly. They can't breathe as they should. It's not going to bear fruit lying on the ground. That kind of branch he will lift up and the vine dresser will attach it to the trellising, clean off the leaves so that it can photosynthesize properly, can breathe properly, can do what it needs to do, give it every opportunity to produce fruit. That's a really beautiful thing. From the very beginning here he says, I'm the true vine. Every branch that is in me will bear fruit. If it's not bearing fruit, I'm going to... He says, every branch that does not bear fruit, in other words, you're in me, you're connected, but you're not bearing fruit, I will lift up. I'm going to help. I'm going to give you every chance and opportunity to bear fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit, I'm going to prune. Why? So that it'll bear more fruit. So that the quality of the fruit will be better. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. What does abide mean? Stay. Obey. Live. I think, you know, what's the difference between a house and a home? There's a big difference between a house and a home. Love. Love. A place of belonging. Uh, you can be in a house, but it's not your home. Home is a place you belong. And it's a place where you find rest. It's a place you find peace. It's the place you abide. You don't abide in a hotel. You'll rest there for a while. Your abode is your home. And Jesus is saying, make your home in me. That place. Find that place of rest, of, of, of belonging, and me and you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. That's incredible, isn't it? Unless we abide in Jesus, we cannot bear kingdom fruit. We can do a whole lot of other stuff, but not kingdom fruit. And he goes on to say, For without me you can do, I am the vine, the, the vine you, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now we all know that you can do a lot of stuff. So what is Jesus saying here? He's bringing this back to God-inspired, God-breathed fruit. We're going to get on to what this fruit is in just a minute. Without me, you cannot bear God fruit, kingdom fruit, everlasting fruit that will speak into eternity on your behalf. Okay? You cannot bring kingdom fruit or fruitfulness into this world. If anyone does not abide in me, and so here we see the difference. Anyone who abides in me but doesn't bear fruit, I'm going to give every opportunity to bear fruit. But if you do not abide in me, in other words, if you have not made your home in my heart, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much so you will be my disciples. Those last two verses are loaded. It says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Doesn't that sound like an incredible promise? Whatever you desire. The beautiful understanding, if you, if you couple this scripture with other things that Jesus taught, is basically this. If you abide in me, I will give you my desires. 
you will become privy to what is on my heart. And when your desires and my desires align, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. That's the power of agreement. The Bible says, two of you agree on earth concerning anything, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. These are strange and wonderful but incredible promises. How, many, how much of that do we, do we actually translate into experience in our lives? How often do we take these two things and, and, and bring them together and say, hang on a second, God is, is putting something before us here which is incredibly powerful. That's part of the purpose of marriage. Two of you are in agreement concerning anything. You will be able to accomplish it. The power of agreement is incredibly powerful. And so here we have Jesus promising that when you come into agreement, when, when, when you, I dwell in you, and you dwell in me, and we abide together, there is this incredible unity. And from that place, you will ask whatever you desire. And our desires will be aligned. And it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And then he goes on to say, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. What is the fruit? The fruit is the answer to the prayers that you are praying. He's talking here about prayer. Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Where? In the place of prayer. That you are so close to Jesus and our hearts are so entwined with His that we are, are praying prayers that are God-inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired. Romans 8 says we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit gives us utterance. He helps us in our weakness. That we can pray things into being. And that as those prayers are answered, you have no control over the answer. I've got no control of the answer. Therefore, God gets all the glory. That's why through this, through answered prayer, through miraculous intervention, through opening up the way for God to come into situations and change them and work in them, He gets all the glory because you can't claim it and neither can I. That's incredible, isn't it? God desires for us to bear much fruit in the place of prayer. But this is clearly dependent, as we've read, upon abiding in Him. The better we know Him, the more empowered we are to pray according to His will. I mean, once you've journeyed with God for, for a while, and you think back, especially if you journal, if you read back in your journals and you look at some of the things you prayed for back then and the way you were praying them, you've grown, you understand things completely differently now. And you think, sure, I wouldn't pray it that way now. But I thank God that in my sincerity in the moment, He answered me, but not in the way I would have expected. James 4 verse 3 says this, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. I always say, you should really, really rather ask a mister. <laughs> you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. In other words, you ask the wrong thing, not a miss, not an unmarried woman. That you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, the heart motivation is not lined up with Jesus. Now, does Jesus have issue with your pleasure? No. God has no issue with you having pleasure. There's too much in the Word of God that promises us, promises us blessing and a good and a, and a blessed life filled with pleasures. Uh, God, God says, at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. God doesn't have an issue with a pleasure. What God does have an issue with is when we center our lives around the pursuit of pleasure. Because the pursuit of pleasure 
which will cause you to compromise on anything that doesn't bring you pleasure. Now we've already confessed this morning, sometimes getting into the place of prayer is not pleasurable, especially when your alarm goes off at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray. Sometimes fasting in order to pray and humble our flesh to the Lord is not pleasurable. And so if we are pursuing pleasure, these are things we just, why would I get up early to pray? It's not pleasurable for my flesh. Why would I fast? It's not, it's far more pleasurable, it's far more pleasurable to eat. Why would I do this? Why wouldn't I do that? The pursuit of pleasure is something that, that, that perverts the sincere desires of God within our hearts. And that's why James says, you ask and you ask and miss. You don't get what you receive because you, you, you're pursuing it. You're pursuing your own pleasures. But yet, in the midst of all of this, God encourages us to ask of Him, to seek Him, and to knock on the door. And He gives us a promise. He says, listen, if I ask you to ask, if I say to you, knock, and the door will be open, seek, and you'll find it. Look, you'll find it. Michael, where do I find the yogurt? It's in the fridge. There's no yogurt in the... Look, you'll find it. I come, it's behind the butt. Oh, okay, I found it. Have those conversations in your house? Or is it just my house? Yeah? I can't find it. Just look. And you'll find. Yeah, I can't find it. Oh, just, I'm coming. Here's the pot. It was there all along. But I couldn't see it. You didn't look. And it's a lot like that with God. But He gives us, He, he gives us a command to look, to seek, to knock. And in doing so, he gives us a divine expectation. He says, if you seek, what will happen? Not you might find. If you seek, if you truly seek, you will find. If you knock, what's going to happen? The door will be open. Luke 11, 9-13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Now we're going to get onto something, we're going to push on in this understanding of prayer, and our hearts being aligned to Jesus, and, 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 and catching his heart in this place of prayer, that changes us and brings us into his agreement. So just, just follow this train of thought as we continue through what I'm sharing with you today. Verse 11, he says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give? Who knows the answer? Give? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him. See, God says, ask, seek, knock, and I promise I will come and meet you. With what? With more of me. Now, this is very interesting. This is very interesting. This portion, you've got to understand, comes after te Jesus teaches on the model prayer. And then, so Jesus teaches on the model prayer. This is how you pray. Now, why did Jesus teach on the model prayer? Does anybody know? You guys need to read your Bibles. He taught on the model prayer because his disciples said, teach us how to pray. Now that's not, that's not a wow reason. But there's something in that. 
Because the disciples spent a lot of time with Jesus. They saw that when he went up on the mountain by himself, he came down and man, people were getting healed. Demons were fleeing. Stuff was happening. They realized and could see that that the that the strength of Jesus was his how in tune he was with his father. And so he would say things to the disciples like, I only do what I hear my father what, I, what my father tells me to do. I only say what I hear my father saying. So the disciples can clearly see that this relationship is 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 the the, the source of everything that they're seeing going on in the life of Jesus and going on around them. So they say to Jesus, teach us how to pray. So he says, this is how you pray. Our Father, etc., etc., you know the prayer. Then he goes on and he tells a parable about a man coming to his friend at midnight. And he knocks on the door. He says, please give me bread. And the friend says, go away. It's midnight. Are you crazy? He says, no, I'm hungry. I want bread. Go away. He tries to ignore him. But because of the persistence, he gets out of bed and he gives his friend bread. He says, if that kind of person will, you know, will, 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 will answer because of a knock, how much more will your father know? If you just seek him diligently. Then he goes on to, 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 to share this that we've just spoken about. And the thought that Jesus is trying to convey is that when we ask and seek and knock, he will give us more of who he is in the midst of our situation. Generally, when you and I come to God and we lift up our situations to him, generally our prayer is, God, bring relief. God, please change this situation. God, this is difficult. God, please move here. God, please provide there. Please see that something that is going on around me or something in the natural changes to bring relief from the anxiety or from the pressure that I'm feeling inside my heart. Bring relief. Whereas God, most often, wants to use that situation to change something inside you and inside me. We see this lesson from Paul. Paul teaches about this. You see, God... In the midst of our situation, we need to understand, Jesus said this one thing, and it's, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible thing. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. How many of you wish that verse was not in the Bible? But Jesus promises us, you're going to have tribulation. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but be of good cheer. Good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. So he says, while you're here, you are going to experience tribulation. Don't be surprised. Don't let it catch you. Oh, I never expected that. Expect it. You are going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? Because you're not subject to the tribulation. You are not subject to this world. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. And so when, often when we come in a place of prayer, we're saying, God, please work here. Change the tribulation. And God's saying, you're in it. You expect it. You're going to be there. But instead of me coming in and just miraculously changing everything around you, I want to speak into your life. I want to change you in the midst of that situation so that you become empowered to change the situation. When Jesus says, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, what he's actually saying is this, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world and I'm going to show you how to do it. Now, isn't that incredible? That brings us to the position where Paul calls us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We, through Christ, take on that victory, take on the understanding, the, his mindset, begin to pray over a situation, speak his words over a situation, 
and by the force of our faith and obedience to Him, situations around us begin to change. That is how kingdom influence works. We want God to come from the outside and do everything for us. God's saying, that's not how my kingdom works. My kingdom works from within and works its way out. So where you're wanting to see change and where you're wanting to see relief, those are the areas in your heart that I am wanting to change and bring life and wisdom and grace to so that you are empowered to change. Paul, we know, has a situation. 2 Corinthians 12, I'll read from 7 to 10. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it may depart from me. First thing I want to say about this, a lot of people that debate about what the thorn in the flesh is, I want to say to you, it doesn't matter what it was. I don't like getting into arguments about it. Oh, it was a sickness. I don't know that it was. It doesn't matter if it was. Oh, it was a demon. I don't know that it was. It doesn't matter if it was. The point is, there is something that Paul was going through and he grappled with it. This great man of faith. This man who had done all these things. I get great comfort from this. <laughs> because it means Paul also had to grapple with his flesh. And he says, I pleaded with God. We're not talking about a man here who's just asked God, I'll plead with He pleaded with God. Not once, three times. God, what was his plea? I want relief. Take this away. Change my circumstance. Intervene in my situation. Please God. And what did God say to him? Verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. For where, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now what is grace? Grace is the enabling and empowering presence of God. My grace, the person of Jesus Christ meeting us at our point of need with all his power and all his authority is right there. And he's saying, within you, Paul, lies everything you need to overcome this situation and to deal with this thorn in the flesh, whether it goes or whether it stays. You can be at peace. You can experience internal you, the change of your heart in the midst of the situation. My grace is sufficient for you to deal with the situation. Therefore, he says, I most gladly... Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Think about that. He wanted the power of Christ to come upon the situation. He's saying, I see now that in the midst of this situation, God is wanting the power of Christ not to come upon my situation, but to come upon me. That is powerful. Jesus, I want more of you. Really? Great, let's get into some difficult situations. Jesus, I need more of you. Ah, now you've got it. Let's talk. He wanted that power on him. Therefore, I take pleasure in, infirmity, in, in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak and I don't trust in myself, when I've learned to abide in him, I begin to tap into His strength, His grace, His empowerment. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of God. You see, God's desiring that every situation, both the good and the bad, that in those situations we become more like Him. In the good situations, God wants us to be more like Him. In the bad situations, God wants us to be more like Him. A preacher once said, and I can't remember who it was, but it really stuck with me. He says, you know, Jesus didn't come to make a better you. I know I've said this to you guys before. He didn't come to make a better you. He came to make you more like Him. Because this world doesn't need a better you. This world doesn't need a better Lorica or a better Jackie or a better Andre. This world needs more of him. This world needs more of Jesus. It says here that as we behold him, his word, it's like a mirror. As we behold it with unveiled face, the beautiful thing is that in the new covenant, the veil is torn. We can come face to face into the presence of God and be transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory. One level of answered prayer to another level of answered prayer. Just as by the Spirit of God. Paul's prayers for the church reveal the same principle that I'm trying to communicate with you today. That the greater our intimacy with God, the greater we understand Him, and the more we are transformed into His likeness, the more effective we become in the kingdom. Ephesians, he prays for the church, verse one, uh, chapter 1 from verse 15. He says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is what he prayed. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And that in doing that, the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of His calling. There is a hope that rests within the calling that is upon your life. The hope that you will fulfill that calling. The hope that you will answer the call. You see, in Jesus' scripture, He said, Knock, and the door will be opened to you. In Revelations, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You weren't knocking. So I came and now I'm knocking. Isn't that incredible? You were knocking, so I came and I'm knocking. I want you. You're mine and I love you. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what are the exceeding riches, or what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. In the midst of our situation, God, Paul prays here that they would ex- know experientially what is the exceeding greatness of His power. You're not going to know that here. You're going to know that as that power works in you to overcome your flesh and to overcome your situation. That's what he's talking about. An experiential knowledge. It's like when I was a teenager, I knew how to drive. I think all of us knew how to drive as teenagers, right? But that's a whole different thing from getting behind the wheel and driving the car. How many of you did a bit of this when the first time you drove? <laughs> that clutch is a tricky little thing. There's a, very, there's a vast difference between knowing how to drive and doing it. There's a vast difference, people, about knowing that God is almighty and experiencing that God is almighty in your situation. Big difference. 
When it comes to prayer, God's primary desire is to make that a reality in our hearts. Is to transform us into His likeness and make His nearness and His power very real and very present to us. This is the ultimate purpose of prayer. Until you and I are willing to conform ourselves to the likeness of Christ, in other words, willing to change, willing to say that we don't know what to do, and in our devotion and intimacy with the Father, conform to that, we cannot hope to bring lasting or real kingdom change to the world around us. I'll tell you a bit of a personal testimony. <coughs> this was last year, in fact. And, and, and one of the things I'm saying, you know, prayer and persevering prayer and being consistent in our prayer is not about begging God. But yet, how many of us find ourselves there sometimes? Even Paul did. I begged of him three times. I pleaded, pleaded, begged, same thing. Last year I went through a time where I was in a place of great frustration, wanting to see God move. I had certain expectations of what I was wanting to see, certain expectations on people uh, and of people, and just this deep frustration that things were not moving the way I expected them to move. Um, just, yeah, just frustrated. And I went away on a time of fasting and prayer. I said, God, I need some clarity here. And I went and just moaned and complained to God. God, It's amazing when you do this and you're unsatisfied how right you are and how wrong God is. God, I have done everything you've asked me to do. This, Pastor Andre said I must do this, I did this. You said I must do this, I've, I have done, I am not the one to blame in this situation. I have done everything like you've told me to do. I've done everything you've asked on me. Why is nothing changing? I've prayed, I've asked, I've prayed, I've met with people, I've encouraged, I've done everything. What's the point? You know, you say you're a good father and you answer our prayers. I've been praying, God. Anything how judgmental and arrogant we can become. Just this frustration. And it was, I was just having a real pity party, feeling really sorry for myself. And it was in that place that God came and spoke to me and God dealt with me. In the loving way that he does. And the gentle way that he does. And he gave me exactly what I needed in that situation. He gave me himself. He gave me his word. And he said, Michael, where is your level of faith? What are you looking at? What are you looking to? You got me. You got my word and my promises to you. But it all, you, this whole time you've been here, not once have you thanked me for a promise. Not once have you declared my word over your situation. All you've done is complain about what you see. Is faith not declaring those things which be not as though they were? And it was interesting that although God didn't change my situation, and in fact, although most of what I was frustrated and agonizing over in that situation has not changed to this date. One thing has changed, and that's me. I have changed. I have am seeing things from a very different perspective. My heart has shifted and placed emphasis where God is telling me to place emphasis. So I'm living in that same situation that caused frustration and heartache in a place of peace, in a place of rich hope, in a place of rest. 
I am learning patience. One of the things Andreas has been saying to me over the past year and a half, two years, Michael, time is your friend. Be patient. James, he says this, James 1, 2 to 5, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you suffer, when you fall into various trials, knowing, why do you count it joy? This is, there's only one way you can perceive a trial and count it joy. Because a trial in itself is never joyous. But if you perceive what God is trying to do in and through the trial, you can count it a joy and a privilege to go through it, knowing that the grace of God is coming upon your life. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. How do you get patience? Only through the testing of your faith. God is saying, Michael, your faith is being tested. Where is your faith? That's what God said to me. And I came out of that just so encouraged. Bless you. Just so encouraged. My faith realigned. Things strengthened in my heart and in my attitude. The testing of your faith produces patience. Then it says, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect or complete or lacking nothing. That word perfect means whole. It says there, like it said, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Close up with one more scripture. 2 Peter 1 verse 2 to 8 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we've received it all. It's all there. It's all available to us. Through the knowledge of Him. Ah, so how do we get access to it? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have, which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Think about that. A partaker of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. He's saying press on, move on, don't just stop. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, there is a knowledge of God that is so deep that it produces fruit naturally. How many believers do you know that are unfruitful though they know Jesus? Let me bring this home. How many areas in your life are unfruitful for the kingdom though you know Jesus and are thoroughly saved? There is more that God is calling us into. There is more change that God is wanting to work inside our hearts to make us more like Him so that we can become partakers, sharers in that grace. It's interesting. When you abide in a home, everything in the home belongs to everybody. Kids have free access to the fridge. You agree with me? When we abide in Jesus and He abides in us, it's, his, it's the same principle. We have free access to share in everything that He has. It all comes back to this one point that I want to make with you this morning. The whole purpose of prayer, even as you pray for other people and other situations, is that we would gain a greater and a deeper experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. The more that happens, the more our prayers align with His, the more we bear fruit.
And I want to say this, that bearing fruit is a natural outworking of this kind of relationship. You never hear a vine straining to make grapes. You go walk into the middle of a vineyard. You won't hear, oh, there's a grape. Three more. Vines don't do that. Grapes are just a natural product of being a vine. Answered prayer is the natural product of being a believer, of being a Christian, of being someone who abides in the vine. And so, if your prayers are not being answered, if you're praying for something over a long period of time, maybe God's asking you, what is, where is your faith? What are you focusing on? What is it you're believing for? Maybe you're praying for the wrong thing. Your prayer is getting answered. Maybe you're praying this because you just want it for your own pleasure. You want relief from the situation because it's uncomfortable. Maybe you're praying and you're just missing the point completely. And God is patiently waiting. And He's saying, come, ask. I'll tell you why. Come seek. And in the midst of what you are doing, I will show you. Come knock and I will open up my heavens of grace upon you. The onus lies on us. There's a call, but we need to respond to it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.